Alone. Always alone, the young man was saying. The words awoke a plaintive echo in Bernard's mind. So am I. Terribly alone. John looked surprised. Are you? I thought that in the other place. I mean, Linda always said that nobody was ever alone there. Bernard blushed uncomfortably. You see, I'm rather different from most people, I suppose. If one happens to be decanted, different. The young man nodded. That's just it. If one's different, one's bound to be lonely. Bernard made the first move in a campaign whose strategy he'd been secretly elaborating ever since he'd realised who the father of this young savage must be. I wonder if you'd like to come back to London with us. The young man's face lit up. Linda, too. That revolting creature. Unless... It suddenly occurred to Bernard that her very revoltingness might prove an enormous asset. But of course... The young man drew a deep breath. To think it should be coming true, what I've dreamt of all my life. Do you remember what Miranda says? Who's Miranda? Oh, wonder. How many goodly creatures are there here? How beauteous mankind is. He was thinking of Lenina, an angel in bottle-green viscose, lustrous with youth and skin food. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. Lenina felt herself entitled, after this day of oddity and horror, to a complete and absolute holiday. As soon as they got back to the rest house, she swallowed six half-gram tablets of soma, lay down on her bed, and within ten minutes had embarked for lunar eternity. It would be eighteen hours at the least before she was in time again. Bernard, meanwhile, lay wide-eyed in the dark. It was long after midnight before he fell asleep. But his insomnia hadn't been fruitless. He had a plan. Punctually at ten o'clock the following morning, as the green-uniformed Octoroon stepped out of his helicopter, Bernard was waiting for him. Miss Crown's gone on so more holiday, he explained. Can hardly be back before five, which leaves us seven hours. He could fly to Santa Fe, do all the business he had to do, and be in Malpe again long before she woke up. They started off at once. At 10.34, they landed on the roof of the Santa Fe post office. At 10.37, Bernard had got through to the World Controller's office in Whitehall. Ten minutes of explanation to private secretaries, and by 10.47, the voice of Mustafa Mond himself sounded in his ears. I do find this of scientific interest. Bring these two individuals back to London with you. Your, your fortship's aware that I shall need a special permit. The necessary orders are being sent to the warden of the reservation at this moment. Good morning, Mr. Marks. The hands of all the 4,000 electric clocks in all the Bloomsbury Centre's 4,000 rooms marked 27 minutes past two.
This hive of industry, as the director was fond of calling it, was in the full buzz of work. Everything was in ordered motion. Under the microscopes, their long tails furiously lashing, spermatozoa were burrowing headfirst into eggs, and fertilised, the eggs were expanding. Buzz, buzz, the hive was humming busily, joyfully. But the director's face, as he entered the fertilising room with Henry Foster, was grave. A public example. In this room. This room contains more high-caste workers than any other in the centre. I've told him to meet me here at half-past two. Consider the matter dispassionately, Mr Foster, and you'll see that no offence is so heinous as unorthodoxy of behaviour. It strikes at society itself. Ah, and here he comes. Bernard had entered the room and was advancing between the rows of fertilisers towards them. Good morning, Director. You asked me to come speak to you here. Yes, Mr. Marks. You returned from your holiday last night, I understand? Yes. The Director raised his voice. Ladies and gentlemen. Everyone looked round. There was a profound silence. Excuse me for thus interrupting your labours. A painful duty constrains me. The security and stability of society are in danger. The Director pointed accusingly at Bernard. This man, this Alpha Plus, from whom so much must be expected, this colleague of yours, or should I anticipate and say this ex-colleague, has grossly betrayed the trust imposed in him. By his heretical views on sport and soma, by the scandalous unorthodoxy of his sex life, by his refusal to obey the teachings of our Ford and behave out of office hours even as a little infant, here the director made the sign of the T, he has proved himself an enemy of society. For this reason, I propose to dismiss him with ignominy from the post he has held in this centre. I propose forthwith to apply for his transference to a sub-centre of the lowest order. In Iceland, he will have small opportunity to lead others astray by his unfordly example. Marx, can you show any reason why I should not now execute the judgment passed upon you? Yes, I can said Bernard. Then show it. Certainly. But it's in the passage. One moment. Bernard hurried to the door and threw it open. Come in, he commanded, and the reason came in and showed itself. There was a gasp of horror. A girl screamed. Standing on a chair to get a better view, someone upset two test tubes full of spermatozoa, Bloated, sagging, a strange and terrifying monster among those firm, youthful bodies. Linda advanced into the room, rolling her enormous haunches and coquettishly smiling her broken and discoloured smile. Bernard walked beside her and pointed at the director. There he is. Linda was indignant. Do you think I didn't recognise him? She turned to the director. I'd have known you, Tomakin, anywhere among a thousand. But perhaps you've forgotten me. Don't you remember? You're Linda. She stood looking at him, her head on one side. But in face of the director's expression of petrified disgust, she grew less and less self-confident. She held out her arms. Tomakin! Someone began to titter. What's the meaning? 
of this monstrous Tom McKinn. She ran forward, her blanket trailing behind her, threw her arms round his neck, hid her face on his chest. A howl of laughter went up irrepressibly. This monstrous practical joke, shouted the director. Red in the face, he tried to disengage himself from her embrace. Desperately, she clung. But I'm Linda, the laughter drowned her voice. She screamed above the uproar. You made me have a baby. The director went suddenly pale, stopped struggling, and stood, his hands on her wrists, staring down at her, horrified. Yes, a baby, and I was its mother. John, she called. John! He came in at once, paused for a moment just inside the door, looked round, then, soft on his moccasined feet, strode quickly across the room and fell on his knees in front of the director. My father! The comically smutty word relieved what had become a quite intolerable tension. Laughter broke out, enormous, almost hysterical, peal after peal as though it would never stop. My father, and it was the director. Oh, Ford, that was really too good. The whooping and the roaring renewed themselves. Pale, wild-eyed, the director glared about him in an agony of humiliation. Then he put his hands over his ears and rushed out of the room. All upper-caste London was wild to see this delicious creature who'd fallen on his knees before the director of hatcheries and conditioning, or rather, the ex-director, for the poor man had resigned immediately afterwards and never set foot inside the centre again. On the contrary, nobody had the smallest desire to see Linda, and Linda, for her part, had no desire to see them. The return to civilization was for her the return to Soma, the possibility of lying in bed and taking holiday after holiday. Greedily she clamoured for ever larger, ever more frequent doses. Dr. Shaw at first demurred, then let her have what she wanted. It'll finish her off in a month or two, he confided to Bernard. And a good thing, too. If we could rejuvenate, of course, it would be different, but we can't. It was John they were all after, and as it was only through Bernard, his accredited guardian, that John could be seen, Bernard now found himself, for the first time in his life, treated as a person of outstanding importance. The savage, he wrote in his report to Mustafa Mond, refuses to take Soma, and seems much distressed because the woman Linda, his M, remains permanently on holiday. It is worthy of note that in spite of the extreme repulsiveness of her appearance, the savage frequently goes to see her and appears to be much attached to her, an interesting example of the way in which early conditioning can be made to modify and even run counter to natural impulses, in this case the impulse to recoil from an unpleasant object. Lenina came singing into the changing room. You seem very pleased with yourself, said Fanny. I am pleased. Zip. Bernard rang up half an hour ago. Zip, zip. She stepped out of her shorts. He has an unexpected engagement. Zip. 
Ask me if I'd take the savage to the feelies this evening. I must fly. She hurried away towards the bathroom. She's a lucky girl, Fanny said to herself as she watched Lenina go. Lenina was lucky. Having shared with Bernard a generous portion of the savage's immense celebrity, she'd been the object of attentions from conspicuous individuals. She'd spent a weekend with the Ford Chief Justice and another with the arch-community songster of Canterbury. She'd been to Deauville with the Deputy Governor of the Bank of Europe. It's wonderful, of course, she'd confessed to Fanny. But I feel as though I were getting something on false pretenses, because, of course, the first thing they all want to know is what it's like to make love to a savage, and I have to say I don't know. Most of the men don't believe me, of course. But it's true. I wish it weren't. He's terribly good-looking. Don't you think so? But doesn't he like you? asked Fanny. Sometimes I think he does, and sometimes I think he doesn't. But sometimes, if I turn round suddenly, I catch him staring, and then... Well, you know how men look when they like you. Yes, Fanny knew. I can't make it out, said Lenina, because, you see, Fanny, I like him. Liked him more and more. Well, now there'd be a real chance, she thought, as she scented herself after her bath. Dab, dab, dab. A real chance.